Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Came home from work one day, and I asked Michelle how she was doing. I couldn't interpret the look on her face. She might have been either on the verge of crying or on the verge of laughter or maybe a little bit of both. And rather than tell me what had happened that day, she just went to the table and picked up a notebook and handed it to me and said, this sums it up pretty well. It was one of my daughter's notebooks. I don't know if she intended us to see this particular entry, but she was kind of doing a little detective work. She was trying to solve a mystery and she had gathered some evidence. And this is what her notebook said. Why is mom so stressed? Clues. Number one, because there's a leak in the bathroom. Number two, we weren't nice. You might be onto something, Sherlock. You ever have a day like that? Being a mom is always hard work. Whether you're up at 3 a.m. nursing, or you're cleaning up yet another mess, or you are trying to prevent someone from licking the window, or you are sneaking into the bathroom in a quiet moment when you think none of the little ones will burst in on you, whether you are listening to teenage drama, or finding new childcare, or coordinating schedules with your ex, or lying awake at night wondering how your child is doing at college and why they haven't called in a while. Being a mom is hard work and full of stress. But then COVID came along and motherhood got 10 times more complicated. You're coordinating school on Zoom for three different kids. You're trying to do your own work at home. Dad is also working at home and you haven't decided if that's a helpful thing or the opposite. And normally you'd reach out to grandparents but they're vulnerable and so they're staying away from people. And so everybody is stir crazy and the kids are anxious and you're lonely and every day is starting to feel exactly the same as the one before. And that was just the first month of this whole thing. So happy Mother's Day 2021, everybody. Before we get too far, I do want us to acknowledge and thank all the COVID moms out there. Those who are bearing the brunt of this, you have been incredible this year. I think you deserve a round of applause. Can we cheer for them? In the daily wear and tear of motherhood, especially COVID motherhood, it can be easy to miss the big picture. You're zeroed in on this moment of chaos or what it's going to take to get everybody safe to bed tonight, and you miss what makes motherhood actually meaningful. And so I want to take some time to step back and get some perspective. And this is perspective not just for moms. This is actually a truth we're going to look at today that transforms not just how uh, motherhood works or parenthood, but how we relate to every person around us and even how we relate to ourselves. And here's the truth we're going to look at, that every single person is made in the image of God. The passage we're going to be looking at today is on the very first page of the Bible. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Uh, The Bible begins, surprisingly enough, at the beginning with this grand, poetic, sweeping description of how God formed the world. And at the climax of this account, we have his creation of human beings. And I want to read that to you. It starts in verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move on the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 
God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Let's skip down to verse 31. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I want us to see three things from this passage that show the profound significance of being a mom, but also transforms how we relate to all the people around us. Here's the first one. If you are raising a child, you are raising royalty. You are raising royalty. You ever wonder why God made people? The Bible gives the answer right there on the first page, but many people are still surprised by what that answer is when they hear it. God made human beings to be his partners, to be his partners. God is the king of the universe. He made it, he owns it, he rules over it. And you would think that if you were God, with all that authority, you wouldn't really need to share that with anybody. You know, you wouldn't need any help with that. You know what you're doing. You're capable of this yourself. It's not like you need someone to come alongside and sort of, you know, give you an assist. And yet, in verse 26, the very first statement that is ever made about human beings in the Bible is that God says, let us make mankind in our image and our likeness so that they may rule, rule. In the ancient world, kings were sometimes called the image of the gods, kind of the divine representative ruling on the gods' behalf over their empire or their kingdom. But it is only in ancient Israel that we get a statement like this, where God says of all people, men and women, people of all social statuses, that you were made to rule. You see, God gives each one of us a sphere of influence within his world, a place where he wants us to, to, to shape it and cultivate it. And for the ancient Israelites, this was literal territory. It was their family farm. For modern people, this is our workplaces and our homes and the communities that we have influence on. God has given us a portion of the world to, to take care of, to rule the way he would, and to make something out of what he has made. He wants us to take responsibility over the people and the places and the things that we have to help it flourish and be all that he intends it to be. We are the kings and queens of creation. Every person you have ever met is royalty. And moms, that includes you and your children. You are raising royalty. Here's what this means. It means first and foremost that every single person has supreme value and worth no matter what. I especially want you to hear this if you are the parent of a child with special needs. You might hear me talk about how God wants human beings to rule over the world, and you think about your own child. You think, my daughter is never going to hold a job. My son is never going to learn to read. They're going to have caretakers their entire lives, people who will have to feed them and bathe them and clothe them. They will never be able to do these things on their own. You expect them to rule. What does this mean for my child? Now, I want you to hear this really loud and clear. Your child is so supremely valuable, just like anyone else. If a queen gives birth to a son, and that son's brain never develops past infancy, you know what they call that son? Your highness. Your highness. They may never give a command, they may never issue a decree, but a child born into a royal family is royal. Every single person, no matter who they are or where they're from or whatever they have done, no, no matter their age or their stage of development, no matter their abilities or disabilities, their gender, their race, their social status, every single person 
has value and worth that cannot be taken away. So there is dignity in being the kings and queens of the world. But there is also responsibility. When I say that your kids are royalty, it doesn't mean they just get whatever they want, okay? Uh, Sometimes, especially those of us who are parents of young girls, uh, will sometimes say, oh, I'm just gonna spoil my little princess, okay? This is not what I'm talking about. Being royal is not about entitlement, it's about responsibility. I was reading a book to my kids. It was a kind of a classic story, one of those stories where uh, a kid grows up kind of in an ordinary situation and then finds out later on that they're actually the prince of some long lost kingdom. So as we we're reading this, I actually stopped and I, I asked my kids, what do, you, what do you think about that? What, what would you think if you found out that you were actually a king or a queen? And my seven-year-old, she said, well, at first it'd be really cool, but then it'd be really scary. I thought that was an interesting answer. So I said, well, Lydia, what do you mean by that? She said, well, if I was the queen, I mean, I'd get a lot of cool stuff and we'd have parties and I'd get to eat anything I wanted, but then I'd have to be in charge. Ruling God's world, even just a small portion of it that God assigns to you, it is a weighty thing. It's a weighty thing. A parent's assignment is to prepare your children to bear that weight. And that changes how you look at even the most ordinary of interactions with your kids, even the things that drive you crazy. That every time a toddler says, me do it myself, when your teenager decides to buy something ridiculous with their money, when your adult kids are trying to figure out their own approach to parenting or politics or their career, you know what they're doing? They're working out what it means to rule. They're reaching out for just a little more leadership, a little more authority, a little more kingship. And your job as a parent is not to control that, but to help them grow into that responsibility that is rightfully theirs. When you give them an allowance, when you ask them to do chores, when you help them settle an argument between siblings, when you let them take a risk that makes your stomach rise into your throat, you are preparing them to rule. You are training monarchs. Now, there are lots of parents who get this sort of instinctively, or they at least get part of it. That we know that we are preparing our kids for adult responsibility. So you want to get them ready for that. But the Bible actually pushes us one step beyond that. Because we are not preparing our kids to run their own kingdom. We we aren't just making sure that they're going to be successful and educated and well-paid as adults. We are raising them to rule in God's kingdom. You see, God has a claim on your children. He has a purpose for them. They're your kids, but ultimately they don't belong to you. You are raising them for him. You aren't helping your kids follow their dreams for their lives. You are helping them follow God's dreams for their lives. And that means your job is not just to give them skills, but to give them a vision for what those skills are for, what they're really there for, what their existence on earth is all about. I read a lot of history, and I was reading a history of early America. And I came across this idea that really intrigued me. It's an idea called Republican motherhood. Now, before you get worked up about that name, I should let you know that this came up well before the Republican or Democratic parties even existed. So this is the time of the revolution. And people are discussing, they're saying, America is a newly formed republic. That means they're no longer under a monarchy. There isn't one person or a small group of people at the top who are making all the the calls. Anybody who is a citizen has a vote, a vote and a voice. And that means anybody from a peasant farmer to a banker, anybody in between, they could rise up to the highest office in the land. And so the question was this, how are they going to be prepared to do that? Because it sounds really great to say rule is by the people for the people. Let's have the people rule themselves. 
But if they're not able to do this, if they don't know what it's for or what it should look like or have the skills to do that, it could be really, really disastrous. And so people are asking the question, how are people going to learn how to participate in government this way? And the answer they came up with is from their moms, from their moms. They're saying that mothers who are forming children from an early age and other adults, fathers, uh, adult figures in their lives as well, but they are the primary people who are raising up children who are capable of governing the nation. And so mothers were to have in their mind the idea that their children may one day rule. And I think that Christian mothers and Christian parents should have the same idea. We should embrace kingdom motherhood, kingdom motherhood, to say, how is my child going to be prepared to participate in God's kingdom? And of course, it's not just moms, it's fathers and grandparents and teachers and churches and people who uh, take responsibility for raising up the next generation. That's the reason in the the vows that we have when we dedicate children as a church, we say we're going to be a part of of helping uh, parents do this. Our job is to spark the imagination of our children with questions. What is God's dream for the world? What does he actually desire to happen in this world? What has God made you to do? And where does your life fit into God's purposes? I think about those of you who are pregnant or nursing children. As you wait for your baby or you have those quiet moments as you hold your child, you are praying. And I wonder what you're praying about. I hope that at least one of the things you're praying about is that you're praying that your child will discover their gifts and they will find what God has intended for them, that God, they will be a blessing to God's world, that they will rise up and take responsibility for what God has called them to do. This is the reason why motherhood is such a high calling, because you are raising royalty. Here, here's the second thing I want you to see. When you influence children, you are raising reflections. You are raising reflections. Once you realize that God's plan is to partner with people to rule his world, it makes sense that he would make creatures that are like him. So in verse 27, it says that God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Human beings are made to reflect God. And when we say this, we're not saying that physically we look like God, okay? So God doesn't have earlobes and armpits. We're saying that our character is made to reflect God. And this is part of God's big plan for the world. His desire is for every nook and cranny of his creation to be filled with his love and his beauty and his goodness and his justice and his truth and his joy and his wisdom. This is what the Bible is describing when it says that one day, the knowledge and the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the water covers the sea. And the main way this happens is by God sending out people who reflect him. Do you realize what this means about what God is inviting you into? There are a lot of people, when they think about following Jesus, it sounds like, well, here's a way to sign up for a bunch of rules. You know, it's kind of a behavioral code, some standards that you gotta fit into, and it sounds kind of restrictive, kind of stifling, like you won't have your your freedom or you won't have personal growth because of that. But nothing could be further from the truth. What God is saying is, you can actually become a person who is full of peace and joy and kindness, and freedom, and courage, and loyalty, and generosity, and goodness, just like God. And honestly, when I think about that, that sounds like the kind of person I would enjoy being. We were made to reflect God. And this is what God desires for the children in your life. If you're a parent or a grandparent, your job is to help your kids become like Jesus, to to reflect God's image, not your image, not the image of success in the world, but his image. And that means your top priority, your main focus is their heart. 
their character. What does it profit a parent if a child gains the whole world and yet forfeits their soul? How do you help your children reflect God? Three ways. Here's the first one. Help them encounter God. Help them encounter God. A mirror reflects whatever it's facing. So make sure your children are facing God. This is your first top priority as a parent to make sure they know who God is. A simplest way to do this is to begin by just doing what you're doing right now, gathering and coming to church as a family. This is kind of the anchor discipline for helping people know God, being with God's people, singing God's praises, hearing from God's word. After that is making sure that as a family, you are praying and reading scripture with your children. Now, that might sound intimidating. You may have never done this before. Uh, we love to help people learn how to do this here at Christ Community Church. Our Kids World and our student ministries teams are incredible. They are brilliant at helping people figure out how to do this with their family. If you go to them and say, Pastor Clayton said you could help me learn how to pray with my kid, they will be overjoyed. But let me just give you a, first, a couple of steps that you can take. If you've never done this with your kids, just some simple beginnings, okay? If you've got young children, easy way to do this is just incorporate it into bedtime. Okay, you probably already have a routine. You get them calmed down and tucked in. Just add prayer. Just when they're lying in bed, say, I wanna pray for you. And you just pray for 30 seconds and you just pray whatever your desires for your kids are, you pray that for them right there. And then after you've done that a few days, maybe you do that for a week, you say to your child, you know, I'm gonna pray for you again, but I didn't know if you'd like to pray. You just give them a moment. You can say whatever you'd like to God right now. What do you wanna say to him? And you just let them pray. If you've got teenagers, it might feel really awkward. If you've never prayed together, it's kind of been a while. It's not like they're little kids and, and whatnot. Simple way to get started is this. You just find a time to say to them, hey, you know that I pray for you a lot. I, I love you and I pray for you all the time. And I didn't know if there was anything specific you would want me to pray about for you. And then they might share something going on in their lives. And when they do, you say, I'm gonna pray for that. But would you mind if I just prayed for you right now? And again, 30 seconds, not an awkward thing. You just, you just pray for them right there. And then you've got your foot in the door. You've actually made it something you do as a family. You pray together. You can do the same thing with your adult children. You say, what is there that I can pray for you about? Now, this is the beginning, but the ultimate goal is to encourage your children to encounter God for themselves, to, where they can hear from God from his word, call out to him in prayer, marvel at him in worship. When we see God, we become more like God. Here's a second way celebrate when they reflect God. Celebrate when they reflect God. In our home, Michelle and I have kind of stumbled on a simple pattern for giving our kids encouragement. We will say this all the time. We will say, wow, when you did that, that was like Jesus. Lots of different forms. So, wow, when you comforted your little brother when he was hurting, that was just like Jesus. That's how he comforts us when we're hurting. That was really cool. Wow, that picture you painted is so beautiful. That's just like how God likes to make beautiful things. Wow, when you forgave your sister, you, you, that was incredible. You could have been mean back to her, but you decided to forgive her just like Jesus forgives us. That's really cool. We want to acknowledge the things that are reflecting God and encourage those things. And you can do this for all sorts of stuff. When they welcome a lonely kid on their team, when they offer someone a bigger piece of cake and instead of taking it for themselves, when they delight in the success of others rather than getting jealous, when they take a risk to do what's the, the right thing. And you can do this not just with little kids. You do this with your adult children. When you see your adult children being patient with their own newborn, when they're generous with their money, when they're humble in their accomplishments, you tell them how thankful you are for the way they reflect God back to you. What you celebrate, you replicate. So celebrate when they reflect God. Third way to do this, 
is to reflect God in your own behavior. Reflect God in your own behavior. Uh, whether we like it or not, kids form their idea of God from the, the, their parents and the other influential adults in their lives. That what this means is that the best thing you can do for your kids is to actually be close to God for yourself. Uh, because what, when that happens, you kind of automatically leak what God is like into their lives. It also means connecting them with other adults who can show them what God is like. Uh, Michelle and I pray all the time for other adults to come into our kids' lives who can show them aspects of God that we're not very good at. Uh, we're not arrogant enough to think that our kids are gonna follow Jesus the exact same way we are. So we want them to see lots of examples of faithful people who are following Christ in different ways. So they might say, oh, I could see myself doing that. And they've got an example to follow. And we're so thankful that it isn't all on us to shape our kids' hearts that we can share that with grandparents and aunts and uncles and friends and Kids World volunteers and the staff of our church. At the same time, though, we know that we are the first and most important examples that they have, so we take it very seriously. I was thinking about this for moms this week, pondering all of the ways that mothers reflect God simply by being a mom. Think about how God is a provider, and so are you mothers. Every time you change a diaper or prepare a meal or earn a paycheck, you provide for your family. God is patient, and so are you. When you endure irrational meltdowns and disrespectful tantrums from children of all ages, God is near to the brokenhearted, and so are you. When you bring comfort to your child when they lose a teddy bear, or they go through a bad breakup, or they have their first miscarriage, you show God's hospitality when you welcome in your children's friends. You show his justice when you give out fair discipline. You show his mercy when you relent on deserved consequences. You show his generosity with extra helpings of dessert. You show his joy when you dance around the kitchen after dinner. Jesus healed the sick. And you offer band-aids and medicine and change soiled sheets in the middle of the night. That Jesus sacrifices his comfort to meet the needs of those he loves. If that doesn't describe a mom, I don't know what does. Jesus bears the marks of his love on his own body, and so do you, from pregnancy and childbirth and the scar from the C-section. You even reflect God when you are being ignored by your child. The other day, we had a friend over for dinner, and she was uh, trying to say something to her son who was completely ignoring him. I have no idea what that's like. My children always listen to me, but she was having a hard time. And so she was saying, at, by the end of the interaction, she was uh, saying to him, do you hear me? I am here. I still exist. Are you listening? And I was thinking, how many times has, has God said that to me? Even when you are loving, when a child is unresponsive, you're showing what God is like. You, moms, you are not just being godly in these things. You are being godlike. You are reflecting him and you are raising reflections. Here's the last thing I want you to see. Because children are made in the image of God, you are raising reasons to rejoice. Reasons to rejoice. Here's a question for you. Do you think God likes you? Do you think he enjoys you? Do you think he wants to be around you? Don't answer that question until you've read verse 31 again. After making human beings in his image as the pinnacle of creation, God says, God saw all that he was made, all that he had made, and it was very good. I love in Genesis 1, every time God makes something, he, he looks at it and he says, that's good. That's good. That's good. It's one of my favorite passages because you get the joy of God in all that he has made. But it isn't until he makes human beings at the very end 
when he looks at what he's made and he says, this is very good. And that means as much as God delights in the sun and the moon and the stars, as much as he rejoices in the oceans and the mountains, as happy as he is with the forests and the fields and the birds and the beasts that he has made, God enjoys you even more. And what's amazing about this is God says this before human beings do anything. They have no accomplishments. They've done nothing good or bad. They have nothing to offer him. But from the moment that human beings came into the world, God delighted in them. To him, we are reasons to rejoice. And this is exactly what the children in your life need to know. They need to know that we delight in them, not because they've done something, but simply because they are. I was thinking about this recently because I was pondering why we celebrate birthdays. Have you ever thought about this? Birthday parties are different from all other parties. Most other parties are connected to some accomplishment, okay? It's a graduation party, it's a wedding reception, it's a retirement party. It's connected to a milestone or an achievement that someone has done in their life and you're celebrating what they've done. But birthdays are different. What are you celebrating with a birthday? It's not something that someone's done, it's just the fact that they're there, right? Like this is the meaning of a birthday, okay? At some point in the past, you came into existence And over the course of the last year, you have not ceased to exist. Here's a cake. (laughs) Honestly, the only person who did any work on someone's birthday was their mom, right? And so here's what I'm proposing. I think that every time someone has a birthday, we throw a party for their mother. How about that? Sounds like a good idea. But even so, birthdays send an incredible message. They say to each person, you are valued, you are loved, you are celebrated simply because you exist, full stop, no extra conditions on that. And this is a truth about us that most of us do not believe, that God wants us and values us and loves us, not because of what we've done, but simply because we exist. The children in your life need to experience this. They need to experience it from you because the world is screaming at them that their value comes from what they do that their worth comes from what other people think of them, that their significance is based on what they make of themselves, and they need to know that that is a lie. And the best way they're gonna know that is if they feel it from you. So parents and grandparents, teachers, siblings, mentors, make sure the children in your life know your delight in them. I think about you moms of teenagers. I wanna tell you a secret about your children. This is is something that that is true about them. Their greatest desire, and they might not be able to articulate this or, or express it to you, but their greatest desire is this, to have someone significant in their life see them See them, the real them, Uh, not the front that they're putting up, not their social media image, not, not the persona they're trying on today, but to see the real them and still love them. To be fully known and yet still deeply loved is the desire of their heart. And who better to do that than you? This this is what God is offering to each one of us. He knows us and yet he still loves us and he is for us. But we won't believe that as easily if we don't experience it from the people in our lives. Now, this doesn't mean that in in loving someone, there's no hard conversations, there's no discipline. This doesn't mean you delight or tolerate in all of their behaviors or choices. What it means is this, that even when there's a time to correct or confront, the underlying disposition is one of love and delight. You want what's best for them because you delight in them. And that love is offered first without prerequisites. You see, the reason God pursues us 
is from this very declaration that God looks at us and says, we are very good. That even when we ran away from him, he still said, I value you and I want you. That God had invited us to rule the world with him. And we said to him, no, I want to rule the world on my behalf. God invited us to reflect his glory back into the world. And we said, no, no, I'm just going to reflect my own glory back into the world. God said, I want you to experience my love and delight in you. And we said, no, we're going to look someplace else to find our joy and our satisfaction. I'm going to go uh, figure that out on my own. And so we ran away from him like the prodigal son in the story. We went to go rule our own life and find our own joy and find our own satisfaction. But you know what we found instead? Death. I mean, that's what you get. When you run away from the giver of life, you end up in death. But here's the incredible news. God never stopped loving us. He never stopped valuing us. Even though we had rejected him, he didn't reject us. He chased after us. In the person of Jesus, God came to find us. And in order to bring us back, Jesus took the consequences of our rebellion and sin on himself. That he took the death that we had earned when we walked away from the giver of life and he took it on himself. He went to the cross to pay the price for our sin. And then when he rose from the dead, he did it to make a way so that we could come back into life. And so now Jesus is sitting on his throne and he is inviting us to simply stop running away, to to return to him, to, to bow down, to surrender to him and let him simply be the king and savior that we need in our lives. And he offers this, not because we've deserved it, not because of something we've done to earn it, but simply because we exist and he never stopped loving us. And this is so important for each of us to hear. Uh, But I especially want those of you who are moms to hear this today. God rejoices over you because of what Jesus did, not because of anything that you have done. This means that no matter what kind of mom you are, God loves and delights in you. Your value as a mom does not depend on whether or not you are a working parent or a stay-at-home parent or a single parent. Your value doesn't depend on how you compare to the other moms that you see around you. It doesn't depend on how together and happy and cute your family looks in Instagram posts. It doesn't depend on whether or not your body bounced back after childbirth. It doesn't depend on how your kids behave in public or how your kids turned out after they moved out of your home. Your value and worth does not depend on how you feel about yourself today or how you felt yesterday or how you'll feel tomorrow morning. It doesn't depend even on whether or not you enjoy being a mom. Some people don't. It doesn't depend on whether or not you can get pregnant. It doesn't depend on whether or not your your mom treated you well or you have a good relationship with her. It doesn't depend on whether or not your children or their father thank you and celebrate you well today. Your value depends on you being in Christ and what he has done. In Christ, God loves you. He delights in you. He calls you very good, and he sees you as a reason to rejoice. I wanna talk to all of you here. There there are some of you here who have never surrendered to the love of Jesus. You've been running away from him. You've been trying to make a life on your own, and and today is the day that you hear this and say, I need to stop. I need to turn around. I actually need to surrender and receive what Jesus is offering me. This is the time to do it. So I wanna take a moment and actually give you a chance to do that. I wanna give you a simple prayer that you can pray, maybe for the first time, to surrender to Jesus and say, I want you to do for me what you are offering, to forgive me and welcome me into your family. The prayer is a simple one. It can be summed up in three words. Sorry, thanks, 
and please. And so I'm gonna guide us through that right now. And if you've never surrendered to Christ, I wanna invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. God, I wanna begin by saying sorry. God, I have been running away from you, rebelling against you, and I am wrong. And I am so sorry for the things that I've done. Take just a moment here in silence and tell God the things that you are sorry for, the things that you need to ask for forgiveness for. The next word is thanks. God, thank you so much for loving me, even though I had run away from you. Thank you so much for coming to earth. Jesus, you came and you bore my burden. You took the penalty for my sin. Thank you for dying for me. And thank you for raising up to life so that I could live too. Thank you for what you've done. You did something for me that I could never do for myself. Thank you. Take just a moment and express your thanks to God. God, we also say please. God, please forgive me for what I've done. God, please come into my life and transform me. God, please welcome me into your family. God, please give me a hope and a future in your kingdom. God, I need you to save me. Please come and be the savior. Come and be the king of my life. I need you. Take a moment to express that to God. God, we thank you that whenever someone prays a prayer of surrender like this, that you hear it and you answer it. God, we thank you that you welcome us in as your children, forgiven and free. God, I pray for each person who's prayed that prayer, that you would continue to draw them to you and walk with them. God, we thank you that you have made us and that you love us, that you have a purpose for us. And we pray that you would help us experience that even this week. In your name.